really don't know because you don't know what we're trying to do. You guys don't look at the films. You don't know what happened. You really don't know. You think you know, but you don't know. And you never will. Yes, welcome into the We Never Play the Game podcast. Zach Klein along with Jeff Schultz. And now for your Atlanta Hawks. Um, uh, big news, Schultzy. Kyle that, Corver. Yeah. Gone. On my on my laptop right now, Zach. Yeah. I have a picture of the Atlanta Hawks starting five from left to right. Kyle Corver, mm-hmm. Damari Carroll, Al Horford, Mike Millsap, Jeff Teague. Also known as Paul Millsap. Oh yeah, Paul. Yeah, Paul Millsap. You're thinking exactly. Muscala. You want Muscala? You want you want Muskie in the lineup right away. You know we could retape this, but I know you just want that mistake in for it to, to you torture were, you, me for the next six. You were feeling it. You were flowing. I was I, flowing. Yeah. I, yeah, I appreciate that. So it doesn't change my point. Yes, <laughs> as flawed as it was, um, that we don't know it, where this team is direction is going. Well, we know the direction. It, well, these these five guys on my laptop, mm-hmm. right in front of me here. Basically engineered a 61 season less than two years ago, two seasons ago. And there's only one guy on this picture still left. Not Mike Millsap, <laughs> Paul Millsap. And we don't know how much longer he's going to be around. It, it's, I mean, in the history of Atlanta sports and, you know, things turning around and always expecting the worst and doom and gloom. How bizarre is this that four fifths of the starting lineup less than two years later is gone? Credit to Anthony Amy who pointed out when news is breaking that the most tenured member of the Atlanta Hawks is Mike freaking Scott. Yeah. Who a year from now might not be in the league, might not have he might not have his freedoms. He might not have his yeah, he could be, be he he's not probably not gonna be in Atlanta and he and he very well could be behind bars because of pending legal issues. So that, yeah, that's pretty scary. I'm happy for Kyle. Um, you and I, we're not supposed to have favorites, play favorites, but I think I can speak for you that in the business for me for 20 plus years, there's a handful of guys that you respect and yes. he is on that fi- that fist of the guys that handle himself both on and off the floor, the court, the field, whatever their field of play as the utmost professional. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, speaking for me, I don't root for teams to win or lose, I I, I, I I write stories and I and I and I cover things and I write stories based on what happens either way and what I think about why something happened. But like you said, we do get to know these guys off the court, and and Kyle Korver, outside of being very bright and and as articulate as any athlete I've come across on a regular basis. One of the most professional, nicest, kindest, humble people I've ever come across, and um, and a great leader in that locker room, and and he, as much as we're going to miss him in the media and talking to him after games and off days and all that stuff, they are really going to miss him in that locker room, and that locker room—it's scary, Jeff. It has the potential to become extremely dysfunctional very quick because the other guy who's at Kyle's level in terms of leadership and professionalism also might be on the on-deck circle out of town. And you're talking about Paul Millsap, who most likely will be out of here. The dominoes are starting to fall, and that means your locker room, because they're going to get younger, they're going to try to get more athletic. 
It's going to be Dwight Howard and Dennis Schroeder right. as your leaders in this locker room. And you're going to have a great guy like Kent Bazemore, who, who, but he's not, he's a great guy, mm-hmm. but he's not the jump on my back. He's not the leader guy. Nobody's going to look at him as the leader guy. He's too young. Um, you've got Tim Hardaway Jr., who's, who's happy just to be playing again. He's certainly not the guy who's going to be looked to as the veteran leader guy. It's, the Hawks have had their share of dysfunctional locker rooms. Um, the worst was probably in Joe and Josh days. Um, but this this has the potential to get really, really bad. And I, I, if they trade Paul, which I believe that they will, and they could trade Cephalosha, hell, they could trade Hardaway. I don't know. They could trade anybody. Well, I talked to somebody who's very well-versed in the way the Hawks think, and he told me when the Corver News was breaking down, I said, who's untouchable? And he told me anyone under 24 is untouchable. So they're talking about Dennis, they're talking about Hardaway Jr., they're talking about Bembry, and they're talking about Prince. That's the direction they're going. They're in a complete, in a complete rebuilding process. So while Corver is going for the ring, the Hawks are tearing down and, and starting over. Uh, Millsap, I, in, I mean, he's going to be gone. They, they, and, but you think about the, what the Hawks did, I understand where they're going. They traded a 35-year-old guy whose right. skill set is diminishing for a first-round pick. That's a good move. I think any GM would out there say, hey, we're going to give away a 35-year-old guy who can shoot, but he's going to play 15 minutes a game for a first-rounder? I'll take that. Yeah. So I applaud him for moving that. But rebuilding a franchise in the NBA without a top-five pick is the hardest thing to do. And you look at, Jeff, who the Hawks are competing in the rebuilding process with. The 76ers, the Lakers, the Pacers, the Magic, the Knicks. Those are all teams that are also in this rebuilding phase who have a little bit of a head start, who have younger guys, who have more athletic guys. It's going to be a long two or three years, I think. Yeah. Look, somebody called me last night is very close to the Hawk situation and was just venting that they're doing this. And, and my response to him was what they did tonight and what they're going to be doing is not necessarily wrong. The problem is what set all this up. And give me a minute here because I need to set this up. They were wrong two years ago for not giving Damari Carroll the money to keep together that 61 team. I understand that the money was stupid money, to use a term, but it was no more stupid money than the money they gave Kent Bazemore. And the difference is you had a resume of success with Damari Carroll, and he brought something to that team, that 61 season, that nobody else on that team brought, which was an edge. They never had that. So they were wrong for that. They were wrong. The new owner, Tony Ressler, was wrong for committing to Mike Budenholzer and, and, and making him the team president and making him the chief decision maker. They did not have to do that right away. They could have waited things out. What a lot of people forget about that 61 season, even though Danny Ferry was sort of in that limbo period at that time, was nothing went wrong that year. Nobody got hurt. The team was already put together. So the, the, for the real test for Bud and that new fairy list front office didn't come until after that season. And we saw what happened. They were wrong to not adequate. If they were going to let Damari Carroll go, they were wrong for not adequately replacing him. If they thought this is just too much money. Okay. That's fine. Danny Ferry might've made the same determination. The difference is I think Danny Ferry would have done a better job in trying to replace Damari Carroll. 
They were wrong in the decision to make to let Al Horford go. Committing, not committing to a guy who checked all the boxes, in my view. I'm not saying he didn't come up short sometimes. I'm not saying he is not a quote-unquote max player, however you want to define that. But once you let him go, that was going to be a problem. They were wrong to bring in Dwight Howard. They were not wrong to trade Jeff Teague and commit to Dennis Schroeder. I don't have a problem with that. But they were wrong to rush to give Schroeder the money. They didn't have to do that right away. They could have waited a year on that. They were wrong. I'm still going. To commit to Bays at that level. Or if you were so convinced that Bays was going to get that money anyway, that's fine. But don't presume that he is going to step up his game offensively and be that guy. Okay, that's a hell of a lot of wrongs I just put on a pile. Now you've reached this point 30 to 40 games into the season. And wow, shockingly, you've come to the determination that you're not the team you thought you might be. And you know what you have to do now? You've got to tear it down and start looking to the future. You have to become the Braves to some degree on a lesser level, except maybe not acquiring any pitchers coming off Tommy John surgery. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to get one. So I so, agree with almost all of your points. To go back a few, they did offer Al Horford more money. Yes. And I think they could have offered him max. He was never going to come back. So I don't put that well, on this team. He would have come back, but not once they signed Dwight. They yeah, rushed without, out. They rushed once they signed out and rushed Dwight. It was over. I think his wife had a lot of influence, um, as one should in, in a marriage. You should have it's a partnership. You have to listen to your spouse. I think Al did, and she had a lot of weight. I think she wanted a, a new setting. Uh, I never thought he was going to come back. I think they handled it poorly because they, you met the Dwight thing, and then you tick off Paul Millsap. Yeah, and they didn't handle that properly. Uh, I 100% agree with the Jeff Teague. I mean, Jeff Teague, his numbers and Mike Conley's numbers are nearly identical. And Mike Conley is the highest paid player in the NBA. Jeff Jeff Teague was as good as he was going to get. They knew what they had in Jeff Teague. He's a stock they maxed out and sold at the perfect time with him. Right. I have no problem with that. Uh, They they counted Dwight Howard was going to fill the stadium and sell jerseys. We talked from day one that was never going to happen. and And I want to talk to the one person in the Atlanta Hawks front office or ownership group or marketing one person who can tell me that they thought Dwight Howard was going to sell a single ticket and try to explain to me why. Because anybody who knew the background of this guy and this team and knew how polarizing he was in this city, even though he's from here and played high school ball here, I'm not saying he doesn't have fans, but anybody who actually thought this guy was going to fill seats, they could not have been more wrong. 100% one of the worst decisions believing in Dwight and filling the capacity and, and selling jerseys. It didn't fit their system. No. How many times does Mike Budenholzer talk about spacing and pace? Every time we visit with him, he talks about spacing and pace. That's not Dwight. Dwight spots. He spots on the floor. So th- that's a problem I have with him. Now, in this rebuilding mode where, yeah, you know, there's there's talk out there, Jeff, that they're, they're going to try maybe give Millsap out there for uh, Blake Griffin. Uh, Blake's expiring contract, I believe. As we know Paul Millsap's contract. Um, you got you guys swap Blake and uh, Chris Paul. They don't really see eye to eye. They say they do, but we know they don't. Blake could have a fresh start. Uh, I know he's got a, a connection with Atlanta. I know the Hawks are high on him. Who wouldn't be? He would sell jerseys. He would sell uh, seats in the arena. 
But you bring in Dwight, and let's say you don't get the big splash. And now we, you're trying to build this rebuilding process, and you might not have that top five pick, but you're trying to build and get free agents to come in here. And now you're selling this team built around Paul, um, Dwight Howard and Dennis Schroeder? That's your offense? That's who you're building around? Who? What top flight free agent is going to want to come in and play with those pick and pop guys? No one. Right. And, and I mean, there's a couple other issues too. Somebody on Twitter last night, actually another writer I respect a lot, um, who covers the NBA said, don't worry about Dwight because they could always move him. It's a very movable contract. It is. Well, okay. It's, it's a movable contract. I just don't really see Dwight Howard as a guy, a team wants to bring in. They're not going to say, yes, that is our missing piece to take us to the next level. Because if you look at the teams exactly. that are competing for the championships, they're all run-and-gun teams. Has anybody ever viewed Dwight Howard as the glue we need before the playoffs? No. There's a reason There's- why he's been on so many teams. Because he's not the glue. He's the anti-glue. Well, it would be anti-glue. Paint thinner? I don't even, <laughs> that, that's a great. He tears the glue. That's his new nickname. Yeah. You get it inside yeah. of the paint thinner, yeah. back out to... That's right. And by the way, I am not... As much as I've criticized Dwight Howard in the past, I am not blaming him one iota for this season. No. He has done everything that you should have yes. realistically He has handled himself him the do. right way. He's, exactly. He's handled I'm, himself right. Yes. He's re, he's improved their rebounding. He's done that. He's tried to mix into the offense. Yes. He's, he's worked hard. He was put in a bad spot from the get-go. He, exactly. And, and so I, as much as you want to you know, believe he's not genuine and stuff, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But he, what's going on this year is not his fault whatsoever. After um, the game against, uh, who did they play last night? They were in uh, New Orleans. Right. Um, the discussion was not the win, which was uh, their fifth in a row. It was Kyle Corver being traded to Cleveland, uh, our esteemed Cox colleague, uh, Jeff's co-worker at the AJC. Chris Vivlamore did ask head coach Mike Bootenholzer after the game about it, and Coach Bud wouldn't comment it because it's not a, a final deal. The dots have not been dotted. The I's have not been dotted. The T's have not been crossed. So uh, That's co- okay. I said Mike Mills. So, so, you, can- <laughs> <laughs> so, so you understand Bud not being able to talk about it. But here is Corver discussing his future after the game. Um, there's, there's definitely mixed emotions. You know? um, there's a lot of heart ties to Atlanta. For a lot of reasons, a lot of uh, friendships, relationships. Um, you know, it's where I had my best basketball careers. Honestly, it's where I had all my kids. <laughs> no, um, so uh, it's it's hard to, to leave that behind. Um, obviously, it's a great opportunity for me to go to Cleveland. Um, so I'm very excited about that part of it. Um, but there's a but there's a lot of relationships that I'm, I, I I care a lot about here. And, uh, Goodness. You mentioned that just this week that kind of if somebody trades for you, it's that somebody really wanted you. But how hard it is to find that solace <clears throat> yeah, right it, away. It, it probably doesn't happen right away. You know, um, like I said, if there wasn't the emotional connection that I have to Atlanta and the Hawks organization, it's a different story. Uh, from a basketball perspective, this is a great, great fit for me, and I know that. Uh, but. Uh, there's a lot has happened in the last, you know, four and a half years, and a lot that I'm proud of, and a lot that um, I really cared about, and um, that this what makes it hard. Did you have an inkling this was going to happen? Uh, yeah, I've heard bits and pieces. You know, you know how that works. But um, find out today. Is that an emotional meeting with Bud? Oh yeah. Yep. Kyle Corver, emotional. And I'm happy for him. He's going to get that ring, and he's going to knock down a lot of wide-open trays with 
King James driving the paint and dishing it out to him. Yeah, I mean, he's got to live in Cleveland, but outside of that, it's... it's <laughs> he can still have it, his place out here in Atlanta. He, he can. He can. And I'm, I'm going to guess he's not going to settle in Cleveland. Um, but no, good for him. A guy who's got a chance, to, like you said, to win a ring at the end of his career. Um, he's going to be played with the best basketball player in the world. Some of the best players in the world, period. We all think we know where this is going, where they're going to be playing against Golden State. It's going to be a phenomenal championship uh, series. Um, and I'm glad for Kyle that he can be that he can be a part of that. It's going to be a long road ahead for your Hawks. It's going to be a, a painful process, I think, especially when you have two franchises in the Falcons and the Braves that are moving into new facilities. They will have buzz around them. And now you're trying to get free agents and excitement. Yes, you're putting a few hundred million dollars into Phillips, but in a rebuilding process, fans weren't going to see the team now. They're not going to go for the next two years when you're winning 25 or 30 games. No, they what what Tony Ressler and the ownership group have to do is is basically win confidence back. Um, it was hard for Danny Ferry to do when he first got here, particularly since he came to work for such a Oh, he awful, won confidence right away as soon as he shipped yeah. Joe Johnson out of town. Yeah, in that yeah well, that's true. He immediately was executive of the year. <laughs> yeah. um, but when he first came here, even though Danny had a good reputation, he was working for an awful ownership group. And so Danny had to sell his plan. Like you said, he got rid of, he got rid of Joe. Um, and after a year, he got rid of Josh. So, um, but basically what, Dan, what, what Tony Ressler and, and the new group has to do is they've already done a lot. Like you said, you alluded to the Phillips Arena renovation thing. The practice facility is huge. Those are two major things that, that, that the Hawks needed. But now he has to determine, or the group has to determine, what about their organization? And it starts at the top. And like we've, we've talked before, I've certainly written before about, I'd love to see Grant Hill more involved. Obviously, Grant Hill's been reticent about that. Um, I haven't made any secret that I did not like Bud as both coach and, and de facto general manager. Um, I'm not sure about Wes Wilcox's future in the organization. Well, I, let, me, I, let me interrupt real quickly. Sure. Do you think th- this move right now, this rebuilding project, tends, if you were to look at the, the overall pie of structure for the Hawks, because you thought Bud shouldn't have that much power as both the president and head coach. But the way we're seeing it now, I don't think Bud would sign up for a rebuilding process. So does that tend to you to think, uh, I thought I had my phone on silence, that (laughs) Wes has more quote-unquote power than we thought? No, I really don't. So you think Bud would sign off on just, you know, blowing up this team? um, I think, I think either I think he's either signing off on it or it's being dictated to him by by ownership. I think I think Wes has a voice. Don't get me wrong, but I think if Wes says, I thought if it was tied, if it was one one, I think the vote would always go to Bud. You know, so that maybe I, leads you that Tony I, is stepping in. I yeah, I Zach, I don't know if I buy into the notion that something's in black and white like that. Okay, that Zach that Wes has a vote and and Bud has a vote, and if they disagree. Then, uh, then the owner makes a decision. And here's why I say that. Number one, Bud is the top name on, under the ownership in the organization. Two, I don't think he would have stayed here and signed an extension for anything less than autonomy. I'm talking about the last, the last deal that Bud signed with the new ownership group. Um, I think Bud is the number one voice in the organization. I'm not taking anything away from Wes in terms of doing a lot of work. And I'm sure Wes is in the owner's ear just as Bud's in the owner's ear. 
ultimately it's it's the ownership's decision. Um, I think one of two things is going on right now. Either Bud has acknowledged that this isn't working and needs to build for the future, or two, Bud is being dictated to by the owner, not by Wes. And so... Um, it's fascinating, Jeff, because I think when Wrestler bought this team or his group bought it for close to $800 million or whatever it was, he was buying it at the peak level of the Hawks. Right. 60 plus wins, got to the conference finals. Right. And now he's like, we're going to build on this. We're going to put money in. We got a new Emory facility. We're going to get a D-League team. We got... Right. They, they, his value right now, I mean, I, I would love to sit down and get his thoughts right now because he can't be happy. No, I'm sure he's not happy. Um, and I, here's the problem. You have a really, really good coach. You have one Without of, question. You have one of the top five or six coaches in the league probably and a coach that a lot of players would like to play for. Yes. What you don't have necessarily is a great decision maker. Nothing has been proven that there are great decision makers in the front office right now. And so as the owner... How do you sort of finesse that situation of saying we need to go out and hire a better general manager or a, or a better team president or something, but you're the coach again? How do you do that? And and would Bud take that, or would Bud say, "Screw you, I'm going back to San Antonio"? Um, it's, it's, it, it's 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 not an easy situation. No, it's it's fascinating <clears throat> because in my heart of hearts, I believe. As soon as Pop is ready to retire, Bud is gone and he's on his way to San Antonio. Which is so if the over under on Pop staying in the league probably be about three years, that'd be right about the time that this team that they're building for now right. would be able to take that next step. Because I think the way the Hawks look at it, Jeff, is there's no way they're going to get to that next level with LeBron in Cleveland, with Toronto right now. They, they can't compete. So if we take us two to three years, LeBron's not going to be LeBron in three years. But if we can get these guys, 24, 25, 26, get another, you know, some young pieces, maybe add a veteran. When LeBron's on the final three or four years of his career, we're peaking at the right time. That's right. when we make our move. Then the Spurs, and this is all obviously, you know, if my aunt had you know what, she'd be my uncle. <laughs> a lot of what ifs out there. But I think the timing could be fascinating. Yeah. Hawks at that level. And then I, Bud says, you know what? Gone. Yeah. I think if the right moves are made, I'm not really worried about time frame i think if you make the right moves you can build a winning team we saw what happened we saw how quickly danny ferry did it okay i'm not saying 60 wins wasn't maybe somewhat of an aberration but he made the right decisions and put together a winning team very very quickly and i think i think the hawks can do that now moving forward over the next two years and they're gonna basically. have to pull some sick moves out of their right. out of their behind right. Right. like a paul Millsap, two years 18 million dollars exactly exactly but i think if if those moves are made and if and if bud is a part of those moves i don't know that he would necessarily jump at san antonio right away because he's going to be want to want to be part of an organization that he helped build up but again this offseason is going to be extremely extremely interesting and and is going to really sort of set the Hawks really on the right road or the wrong road. And I don't really know what's going to happen right now. And I don't know where Bud's head's at. I don't know where ownership's head's at. Um, I, I've said it before. I, I really believe that when Wrestler and that group came in, I think Tony in his mind had it that Grant Hill was going to have a bigger role than he has. And I'm not saying Grant's not doing stuff behind the scenes, but I think they really wanted him as an active part of the basketball operation. Um, that hasn't happened. I think... I think Grant kind of likes doing what he's doing. That's fine. Okay, so now he's just a voice in the room. So that means, are you bringing somebody else in from the outside? And if so, who? And again, how does Bud handle that? I don't know how Bud handles that. 
it's going to be a fascinating few years. I don't know if this city has the patience to go through a 20-30 win uh, seasons uh, to get to that next level, but they have to start somewhere, as you said at the beginning of this podcast, and they did by getting rid of Kyle Korver in exchange for a first-round pick. So they're trying. They're making the moves, and now the point of emphasis is taking advantage of those first-round picks, bringing in some assets, and turning this thing around because uh, they hit a wall. There was no way they were going to get back to the glory, uh, you know, which is crazy, glory years of just two yeah, years gl- ago. Yeah, the glory, the glory year. Yeah, <laughs> glory year. You know, it's 60 wins to a blow-up in two seasons. Yeah, it's nuts. And, and, and it's a lot easier to tear it down than it is to build it up. Um, so if they want to trade, you know, Millsap now, and they want to trade Cephalosha, and they want to get pieces for those guys and trade whoever else and accumulate young players and draft picks and guys overseas, that's fine. Making the right decisions is a lot more difficult. Can't wait to see what it unfolds for the Hawks, their fans. And good luck to Kyle Korver. I'd like to see him over the summer, play some golf with him, and look at that shiny ring. Jeff, as always, appreciate it. We'll see you soon, and thanks for listening to the We Never Played the Game podcast. <laughs>